Thank you, worship team. I have a unique assignment today. That assignment is to preach on the whole book of Psalms, <laughs> which just happens to be the longest book of the Bible. So this, uh, we're going to start with chapter 1, verse 1, and go straight through. And uh, no, we'd be here a, a very long time, um, which would be, that'd be, be great to go verse by verse through the Psalms. And my, but my aim this morning is, with God's help, is to give you a taste of the Psalms, a taste for the Psalms that God will work in each of us to desire to fill our lives with this incredible book of the Bible. Psalms is a unique book in the Bible in that it was the songbook of Israel. They had these 150 God-inspired songs that God intended for them to sing. And these songs were written over the course of really the entire period that the Old Testament was being written, all the way back from Moses, all the way to the time uh, after the exile. And you have psalms written by Moses, psalms written, most of them written by King David, King Solomon wrote a few, Asaph, the sons of Korah, and other psalms are, are we don't have the author listed. But these psalms, these songs deal with all of the heights and depths of God's people and their relationship with him. Some psalms are filled with praise and thanks. Some songs have strong notes of confidence in them. Other songs have strong notes of anxiety and fear. Some teach us how to walk with God. Faithfully, others teach us how to turn back to God when we've walked away from him. To sum it up, the book of Psalms teaches how to relate to God, how to draw near to God in every season of life with Christ. Now, we, we definitely can't cover everything that the Psalms have to teach us in this message. I'm in our word this morning, a greater appetite and hunger for the book of Psalms, that this will kind of be in maybe an appetizer sampler kind of thing, that you get a taste uh, of what's to come and that you'll be moved to, to study and, and invest your lives into the Psalms if you haven't begun doing that already. And my prayer echoes the prayer of Charles Spurgeon at the beginning of his commentary on the Psalms. He said this, the delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profit and ever-growing pleasure. Common gratitude constrains me to communicate to others a portion of the benefit with a prayer that I may induce them to search further for themselves. So that's, that's my prayer, is to share some of what um, God has, uh, has taught me and, uh, through this book of Psalms and to hopefully induce you to further study in, in this book for yourselves. There are many ways that the Psalms teach us how to relate to God, how to draw to him in every season of life. And I just want to focus on five this morning. And that's going to be on your outline that you'll see there if you get a bulletin. And then after looking at those five ways that we draw near to God and, and, and the very message and, and challenge us to three ways that we can recover the book of Psalms in a central place in our life together as a church. So let, let's get into that first section there on the outline. The Psalms teach us how to give praise to God. 
One of the main genres or, or categories of the Psalms are Psalms of praise. These are all those Psalms that really are just exploding with joy of God and his greatness and his goodness. One of my favorite Psalms of praise is Psalm 103. And there's a lot of Psalms I'm going to be referencing. We're going to have them on the screen so you're not having to, uh, you know, real quick flip through uh, all of them. But Psalm 103 uh, is an excellent example of a Psalm of praise. Usually the Psalms of praise begin with a call to worship, which you see in verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then Psalms of praise then move on to give the reasons that God is deserving of praise. And you see that in verses 3 to 5 in Psalm 103. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And he continues all of these reasons all the way down to verse 19. And as most of the Psalms of praise do, they usually end with a final call to praise. And you see this in verses 20 to 22. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And these psalms of praise are so important to the book of Psalms that the last five books, the last five psalms in the book of Psalms are all psalms of praise. And so this is the end note of the entire book is, is just joy and, and uh, glorifying God for his greatness and goodness. And there's a subset of psalms of praise called psalms of thanksgiving as well. And these are those psalms where the psalm writer thanks God for his answers to prayer, specifically answers to prayer from times of distress. Psalm 18.6 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice. And my cry, reached, my cry to him reached his ears. These psalms remind us that when God answers your prayer, don't forget to thank him. We often forget to thank him, don't we? There have been answers that God has given me to prayer, and then weeks later, I'm like, I never thanked God for that direct answer to prayer. The psalms of thanksgiving build in us just a heart of gratitude. So right when God answers our prayer, we're, we're moved to thankfulness to him for his answers to prayer. So these psalms of Praise and thanksgiving together teach us how to have gratitude and delight in God for his greatness and his goodness. C.S. Lewis once said, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. Does that kind of delight in God describe your relationship with God? Can it be said of you that you delight in God? You know, it can be possible to live a Christian life where you focus on Bible study, getting right theology, keeping the right rules, but where there 
there isn't any delight in God himself. It could be possible to love the Bible and love theology more than you love God. If you're a Christian who knows a lot about God, but struggles to feel deeply about God, the Psalms will model that for you. And the Holy Spirit intends to use that to create in you a delight for the God who's redeemed you and constantly is pouring out his goodness on you. God, just, God doesn't want us just to know a lot of things about him. He wants us to know him and to delight in him as our highest source of joy. And the Psalms of praise and thanksgiving, they, they, they not only create a delight in God, but they can also just completely renew and revive your prayer life. Typically, our prayer lives focus uh, almost exclusively on prayer requests. We know what, what it's like. It's our natural default. Prayer for, for most of us is just when we go to God and ask him for things. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. The Psalms are filled with that. But our prayers are often very deficient in just praising God for his attributes and thanking God for his answers to prayer. I mean, percentage-wise, what percentage is that in your prayer life? Probably less than 5%, maybe less than that. The Psalms are just a helpful corrective to, to move us to a heart of praise and gratitude to God for his goodness. So I just want to encourage you in your, in your personal prayer life and in your small group, uh, your times of prayer as a small group, to, to specifically not only ask what, what prayer requests do we have, but what are you thankful for? What has God done for you this week? How has God been good to you lately? And spend time praising God for his goodness to you. And that could really start to transform our prayer life and make us the kind of people that are just really grateful and really delight in God for how good he is to us. So the Psalms of praise and thanksgiving, those are the Psalms that really are at the height of our relationship with God. But there are Psalms called Psalms of lament that are the songs at the depths of our relationship with God. These are the songs that not... They don't come from a place of joy, but they come from a place of pain and sorrow, of confusion, disorientation, and doubt. And these psalms teach us how to be honest with God. The psalms of lament teach us that the Christian life is not lived in a constant state of happiness. I know you know this. I know you know this, but often in our Christian church cultures, we kind of make that, that's the expectation. You, you always need to be happy. You always need to be joyful. And there's something wrong with you if, if you're not. But surprisingly, about one-third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. 62 of the 150 are Psalms of lament, which should really teach you how the Christian life often feels to most of us. It's not constant happiness. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sorrow in it. You know, in certain church cultures, the word depression is kind of a forbidden word. Maybe in your small group, you could say, hey guys, I'm really discouraged about this certain thing. And people are like, yeah, I know what it means to be discouraged. But if you say, hey guys, I'm really struggling with depression. It's like, oh, well, we don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to respond to that. We don't know how to interact with that. And, 
And even if we've experienced that ourselves, we're uncomfortable talking with others about it. And, and often a, a confession of I'm struggling with depression is often met with just a simple reciting of, hey, just rejoice in the Lord always. Choose joy. If you've ever gone through depression, you know you just can't choose joy. It doesn't work that way. It's not flipping a switch. It's not the dynamic that we find in the book of Psalms. And if we come with that expectation about just constant happiness, constant joy in the Christian life, the result can be a, a church that instead of being honest with God and others about our pain and suffering, we, we bottle it up inside. We put a mask on. We put on a smile and respond with, really, what's the most common lie that you hear every Sunday in church is, I'm doing fine. <laughs> yeah, that's the most common lie that, that we always spout out. You know, most of the time, we're not just doing fine. So what are we to do with our depression, our anger, our confusion and fear? Well, what did the psalm writers do with those? They prayed them to God. They were honest with God about their emotional state. And we, so we find David and the other psalm writers praying things that, frankly, make us feel really uncomfortable and wonder if we're allowed to pray the same kind of things to God. So let's just look at a few examples. Um, there are times when the psalm writer feels abandoned by God, and they express that to God in prayer. Psalm 22, 1 through 2. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Now, theologically, we know that God will never abandon his people, right? But at times it feels that way to us. It feels like we've been abandoned. Feels like we've been forsaken. We know that because of Christ, you know, theologically and rightly, we can never be God forsaken. But at times we, we feel like that. See, God calls us not to pray our doctrinal statements, but to pray our hearts. In all of their struggling faith, in all of their confusion. Yes, we need to pray biblical prayers. I'm not saying that throw out your theology when you pray. But you find the psalm writers saying, God, it feels like this. feels like you've abandoned me. It feels like you've forsaken me. And they just pour out that, that heart of struggling faith to God. Another psalm of lament, Psalm 44, includes the most honest and gutsy prayer I know of in the Bible. And there are prayers in the psalms, I, there are prayers in the psalms which, you know, Many of us would say, I can't pray that to God, and this is one of them. Psalm 44, 23. After the psalm writer is expressing their confusion as to why God is allowing all, this, all of the suffering on, on their people, even though they had been faithful to God's covenant, he calls out to God, awake. You know what that means? Wake up, O Lord. Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Wake up. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, so that's, that's like probably none of us would really uh, be comfortable praying that kind of prayer. But here it is. 
You know, if I would pray, wake up to God, I would be tempted to dodge the bolt, bolt of lightning that's coming. But you don't find that. You, you don't find lightning bolts to be feared when God's people cry out to them in their pain in this way. You find a heart of compassion that it's met with. We can be honest with God in our prayers. We can pour out exactly what's in our hearts. Because God is, his shoulders are broad enough to handle it. And his heart is merciful enough to respond and to meet you with his grace. The Psalms of Lament are, however, they're not all darkness and despair. The overall mood is definitely downcast, but there's always this turn, this expression of trust, usually at the end of the psalm where there's a uh, turning of confusion to calmness, of a turning of sorrow to joy. Psalm 42.11 says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The Psalms of Lament show us this dynamic that we experience throughout the Christian life in our suffering. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Life, for some of us, can feel like one beating after another. But God is a God who replaces deep suffering with deep joy. I love how N.D. Wilson puts it in his book, Death by Living. He says this, some people are given more on this earth, and some are given less. Some people spend their days in pain with bodies that keep the yearning front and center, that keep loss always in the mind's eye, widows, orphans, the sick, the damaged by birth or by man. Know this, God has special promises for you, and he loves to bring triumphant resolutions to those who have tasted the deepest sorrows. The Psalms are filled with God bringing triumphant resolutions to those who have tasted the deepest sorrows. And we find that the ultimate triumphant resolution we see in Revelation 21, when God brings a new heaven and a new earth. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of creation will one, be, one day be made new. And in that new creation, there will be no more need to sing psalms of lament. There will be nothing to lament about. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So that's our hope. That's what keeps us going in our suffering, knowing that one day all things will be made new and lament will be a thing of the past. Christians of all people should be those who are totally honest about the pain that, that we experience in life, but they of all people need to be the most hopeful and suffering, even with a struggling faith, because we know weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So I just want to urge each of us in our own relationship with God, our own prayer life, to be transparent to God because you are transparent to God. God sees everything 
in you like through a glass. He sees right into your heart. He sees, he sees all of your emotions. He sees all of your fears, all of your confusion, all of your doubts. He already sees all of that. Why do we feel like we need to put a mask on? No, he, God calls us to be transparent, to, to, to pour all of that out to him when we pray. Because if we don't, it will kill our prayer life. Uh, a, f- a refusal to be honest with God in our prayers will destroy our prayer life. One, one writer put it this way. He says, if you try to pray as you're supposed to pray, quote unquote, your prayer life goes to die in that place. Prayer thrives when it's done honestly and when it's done at the foot of the cross. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we could come and truly present ourselves to God. The gospel frees us to pray with complete honesty because we know that when we come to God with that honesty, it will not be met with condemnation, but with a listening ear, a compassionate heart, being welcomed before the throne of grace. And and I think as we grow in that transparency with God as a church, we'll begin to grow in our transparency with each other about the struggles that that we face, about the doubts and, and discouragement and depression that we face. Things that are bringing us deep pain and sorrow. God wants us to open up with each other about those things. That doesn't mean you need to share everything you're dealing with with every single person in the church. There are some people who may not be able to handle you, you as uh, Pastor Mike put it this way, pu- puking all your problems on them. There, there are some people who, who may not be able to handle that. Um, so, But you can at least begin by finding one or two trusted friends in church that you could just really pour everything out to. And they're going to listen to you. They're going to, they're going to weep with you. They're going to support you. They're going to encourage you through that. The gospel should create a culture in our church so that you can open up to others about your pain without fear of rejection, but with expectation of compassion and, and support through it. So the Psalms teach us how to approach God in our highs and in our lows, but they also teach us how to approach God with a life that delights, thirdly, delights in God's word. The book of Psalms begins with these words in Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You know, if, if I were responsible for ordering, we would have started off with this huge, loud, everything else. But that's not how the Psalms begin. The first Psalm is a Psalm that focuses on delighting in God's word. Why is that? Why is this the first Psalm? I think the ESV study Bible gets it right when, when it says, the first Psalm serves as the gateway into the entire book of Psalms, stressing that those who would worship God genuinely must embrace his law. Our our danger is that we would seek to approach God and worship God like ancient Israel did throughout their history. They would follow the external forms of worship, yet have hearts that had deeply embedded sin in them. So God rejected their worship entirely. Amos 5, 21 through 24. God says, I hate I despise your feasts. 
I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Our worship, our prayers, our songs are meaningless if not offered from a life that is seeking to obey God's word. It's like we just say. You're, you're, you're looking deeper within than just the songs that we sing. You're looking at my heart. God wants our heart first, a heart of delight in his law. And that is where we offer acceptable worship to God. Psalm 119, the longest psalm, 176 verses of delighting and commitment to following God's word. And David says in Psalm 1910, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Has that kind of love for God's word been instilled in you? Can you be described as one who delights in God's word? You love it. So my Christian brothers and sisters, we will never fully arrive at complete uh, and the, 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 the kind of level of delight in God's word that probably we should have, but we should always be seeking to cultivate a deeper delight in God's word. So maybe right now you've, you've cultivated the, the daily habit of, of Bible reading, but there's not yet this deep delight. And off on Bible reading, reading until you feel it. Until you're like, I'm just going to wait until I actually feel delight in God's word. And then that's going to be when I start reading the Bible. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. It's, it's discipline and then delight. So don't expect, you know, this sudden delight in God's word to hit before you start reading the Bible. Or even immediately when you start to read the Bible. That may happen. But sometimes it doesn't. From my own experience, the delight in God's word didn't happen until maybe a year or two into faithfully uh, beginning to commit myself to reading God's word every day. But when that delight came, it started to make its way deeper into my heart. So sometimes delighting in God's word kind of works like that album that the first time you listen to it, you're like, yeah, it's good, but I don't really see what everybody was, all the hype behind it, you know. But after the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth time that you've listened to it, you're like, this is the most amazing album that I've ever listened to. And that's like your go-to album. That album is like the song, that's like the soundtrack of your life now. It's like always playing you. You absolutely love it. You may have an album like that. That's, that's probably more realistically of how delight in God's word works in us. When you keep with it. That discipline will turn eventually to delight, not just to study it, but to, to love it. And that, that heart of delighting in God's word leads us into a heart of genuine worship to God. But remember, the Psalms are honest. Yes, God calls us to delight in God's word, and, and all of God's people are able to have delight in God's word. But there are times when we turn from that delight in God's word. We turn from his commands. And we go and walk our own way. And we have psalms for those times when we turn our back on God. We have psalms for those times when we wander far away from God. 
And these are the psalms of repentance. And these psalms teach us how to turn back to God. You know, here's the reality. We are capable of great holiness and we're capable of great evil. As God's people. Christians can rise to great love and passion for God and fruitfulness in ministry. And then through a fall into sin, plummet into dishonoring God greatly through their lives. You know, we hear stories of pastors and Christian leaders, even recently, who have been great preachers, loving shepherds, and they fall into sin, turning their back on their faith entirely. We're all capable of that. And when we find ourselves in those places, when we fall in deep into sin, straying from God's path, the Psalms teach us how to turn back to God. I think that the, the most vivid example of this is David. I mean, writing most of the Psalms, you see his delight in God. You, you see how much he loved God, loved God's word. He, would just, he just puts us all to shame with, with his devotion to God. But he fell hard. A few hours one day, he succumbed into his lusts. And threw everything away. And there's this downward spiral of adultery, cover-up, arrangement of murder of David. How do you go from that place to there? But it's possible. It's possible for any of us. So we don't know this for sure, but it could be that Psalm 32 written by David, describes what was going on in his heart during those probably what would have been long months until his, fine, until his sin was finally exposed. Psalm 32, 3 through 4. When I kept silent, my bones waited. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You ever been there? God's hand is heavy on you. Your strength is dried up. It's terrible. But that heavy hand of God is meant to be the God-given pain and discomfort that leads you to turn back to God and find the joy of repentance. Psalm 51 is that prayer of repentance after David's sin was exposed. Verses 1 to 4, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David is honest with God about his sins. David doesn't smooth, smooth over them. He doesn't call his actions mistakes or not God's best. No, he calls them what they are, evil. Forgive me of my evil. When's the last time you prayed like that? God, forgive me for the evils that I've done. But God promises that when we're honest with him about our sin, he will be gracious with us. So David calls out for God's grace in verses 9 to 12. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David prays for God to blot out all his iniquities. You know, you could pray like that and forgot to do that, to blot them out, to edit them out, to treat you as if they never happened. That's the grace of God. But notice, David does more than simply ask God to blot out his sin and to forgive him. He asks God to renew a right spirit within me. See, godly repentance leads us not just to seek forgiveness from our sin, but to forsake our sin and to long for our hearts to be changed. It's like the old Anglican prayer of confession. But thou, O Lord, have mercy on us. Spare thou those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to thy promises declared unto merciful Father for his sake that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. That's what David was praying for. God, grant me to live now a godly, righteous, and sober life. Because that's what a repentant heart wants. We hate the fact that we've sinned against God. We, we hate the fact that we've betrayed God by our actions, and we want our life to change going forward. And what does God do when we turn to him with that repentance? What does God give? What's God's response? It's joy. It's joy. David prayed, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Back in Psalm 32, David says, blessed or supremely happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You know what that's like? It feels so good to be forgiven. It feels so good to be freed. You know, just, it feels so good to finally walk in the light again. Have you experienced the season when you've, you've lived in your sin, you've, you've hidden your sin, you've experienced the heavy hand of God on you for so long, and finally, God brings you to repentance, and he just gives you peace and joy and relief, and he shines his face down on you. He meets you with grace. And Romans 4 tells us that that forgiveness, that covering of sin that comes to us, from God when we repent and turn from our sins, that all comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus for our justification so that we, the ungodly, are counted as righteous through faith in Christ. So the choice is laid before each of us. Choose the misery of sin or the joy of repentance. It's always going to be the choice before us. It's, it's painful to admit to God, the honest truth about ourselves, but that momentary pain is so worth it to experience the joy that he's going to pour out to you when you come to him in repentance. When a church, by the powerful working of God, becomes in awe of this gospel, in awe of this grace and of this forgiveness through Christ, it will be a church, our church will be a church where, um, of people who repent of sin, who are honest about their sin, and they experience the riches of God's forgiveness, there will be an undeniable evidence of joy when our sin grasps, when our, when our church grasps the grace of God in a deeper way. 
Our church should be a place where we're all just totally honest about how messed up we are. I think we're already pretty, pretty good at that. We could probably improve, right? Uh, our church has always been a church where people are just pretty honest uh, with, with how, how messed up we are, how sinful we are. It should be a place where unbelievers come in and say, man, these people are not the self-righteous hypocrites I, I thought church people were. Because we realized the depth of our sin, but this should be a place where there's so much joy, so much happiness each, each time we gather because, because grace, because we've been given that through Christ. So the Psalms teach us to turn back to God. And last of all, we're going to look at the Psalms teach us to trust in God. Psalms of, uh, there are Psalms of confidence that we find throughout the Psalms where trust dominates the whole Psalm. Psalm 46, 1 to 3 is one such psalm. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We will not fear, though the earth gives way. See, there are psalms that are honest about our fears and anxieties, but God wants to wants us not to always be there. He wants us to grow alive so that we're, our confidence in God is, is strengthened so that no matter what we face, we know God is in control. I will not be shaken. God is my refuge. God is my rock. God is my strong tower. And our faith is built. And that faith is often built, as we see in the Psalms, through remembering God's past acts of redemption, God's past acts of remembrance. Remember what God did at the Exodus? Remember what God did when he delivered us from that trial? Remember what And that remembrance builds our faith. I, I love what the, the, the old Puritans used to do a few hundred years ago. They, uh, Mark Dever writes this, he said they would litter their calendars with reminders of specific dates when God had been obviously good to them as individuals, as families, as churches, or as a city. When they experienced a particular deliverance from God, they would mark the day on their calendar and then give thanks to God on that date for the rest of their lives. That's just awesome. Like if you started just putting that in your iPhone uh, or, or your smartphone, just those dates where God just came through with a mighty act of deliverance and remembered and praised God for those things every year, that's gonna build your faith. That's gonna strengthen your faith. So the Psalms help us to become the kind of people that when difficulty comes, we don't freak out. When, when you hear the word transmission from the, man, from, from the mechanic, you don't freak out because you know, I don't know how God's going to provide. I just know that he will. When you're given this massive problem to deal with at work, you don't freak out because you know, all right, God's brought this in to my life right now. and He's going to give me all the grace I need. To, to get through this. Psalms of confidence are the song, kind of songs that make us courageous, that make us take risks for God. I, I would be uh, remiss to, before we move on to the, the latter uh, portion of our message, to, to not point our attention to Christ, because Christ is all throughout the Psalms. Um, the Psalms, more than any other book in the Old Testament, are quoted in the New Testament. And clearly, the New Testament writers saw Jesus throughout the Psalms. 
in many different ways. I just want to point to one of those ways. Psalm 22, as we read earlier, points us to Jesus and his death on the cross. On the cross, Jesus quoted the Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus experienced God-forsakenness so that we would never have to. He experienced God-forsakenness so that we could draw near to God and always find grace before the throne of God. So the Psalms give us that assurance that God's always available for me through Jesus. And that gives us boldness before the throne. This last part of the message, I just want to get really practical. Uh, Just a few moments here, a few minutes here uh, of how to recover the use of the Psalms in our own lives as individuals and in our life as a church. So I just want to challenge us uh, three ways in which we can really work the Psalms deep into our uh, lives as individual Christians and as, as a church. So first of all, read and study the Psalms. So read the Psalms. Every, every Bible reading plan is going to take you through the Psalms, uh, many of them once, uh, others twice through the, through the year. So at least read the Psalms once or twice a year to shape your, how you relate to God uh, through every season of life. And uh, I found personally that a great tool for just reading through the Psalms and, and focusing on the Psalms and praying the Psalms is uh, the ES, ESV, they, they put out a, uh, a special volume just on the Psalms. And uh, the whole book is just the Psalms, and I've got one right here. And this is just a beautiful copy of the Psalms, and uh, I want to give that away. So whoever raises your hands, you get this. So who wants it? Who wants it? All right. Daily, back here. All right, enjoy. Enjoy. All right, secondly, study the Psalms. There's so many amazing resources out there. I can't even uh, scratch the surface of, 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 of what you can use in your study of the Psalms, but I just want to give you a few uh, to commend to you. The first is Songs of Jesus by Tim Keller where he goes through the entire Psalms. Tim Keller, about 20 years ago, um, he started reading through the entire book of Psalms every month. And this book is the result of 20 years of doing that. And so I just want to commend this to you, and I'm going to give away this copy this morning. So, all right, I'm not going to walk all the way to back. So, yeah, Jan, if you want to come up here and and get that uh, uh, afterward and... uh, few more books that I want to commend to you for your study of the Psalms. This one, uh, that one's a recent book. This one is a recent book as well. It's called Psalms by the Day by Alec uh, Motnier. I think that's how you uh, pronounce his name. This is a really interesting book, uh, and it's, it's a really awesome resource. It's the author's own translation of, of the Psalms, which is a really good translation of the Psalms. And he has all of these notes throughout that just... He just points out amazing things that I'd never seen in the Psalms before. Looking at the Hebrew and looking at, just opening your eyes to things that you never saw. And, and each section ends with a devotional. Um, and I'm not going to give this away because this is my copy. So, but, uh, but, but, but buy that. This is a great resource for your, uh, for your study of the Psalms. If you really want it, you could have it. So um, I'll just go buy another one. But, um, and... Uh, The last book uh, that I want to commend to you um, is uh, Tremper Longman. 
His book uh, called How to Read the Psalms is the best introduction to the Psalms that I know of. Um, it's, it's the book that God used in, in my life to give me a love for the Psalms and taught me how, really how to be honest with God in, in my prayer. So I want to commend Tremper Longman's um, book, How to Read the Psalms. Secondly, pray the Psalms. Our time is short, so I, I, I could give you more detail on this, but you just use the Psalms to help your prayer life. Uh, read a verse. If anything in that verse prompts you to pray about something, pray about that. And once you're, you're done praying about that, you can move on to the next verse. And if anything prompts you in that verse to, to pray about specific instances uh, uh, in your life and with your family and your church to pray about, just make your way through the Psalms and you'll find the, the, the kinds of things you're praying for are expanding more and more and your, your prayer life is enriched through that. So I want to commend to you to, to pray the Psalms. Donald Whitney has some great stuff for that. So if you just do a Google search, uh, praying the Bible or praying the Psalms, he has some amazing resources on that. And last of all, sing the Psalms. This should be a no-brainer, right? Uh, this should be a no-brainer. Uh, the Psalms were songs, so we should sing them. And uh, um, uh, Colossians 3.16, God tells the church, sing Psalms. So Let's get to it. Um, so we need we need to sing the psalms, and and over over the years we've we've sang some psalms by those, but we're gonna we're gonna do more. We need to do more. Uh, we're deficient in that area. So uh, to to help remedy that deficiency, we're gonna learn a psalm right after the message uh, this this morning uh, that I'm really excited for us to learn together and sing together. And let me just commend to you a great album. Uh, by Shane and Shane called Psalms Volume 2, like Roman numeral 2. It's, it's amazing. You need to listen to it. And look it up on YouTube, Spotify, wherever. Listen to it. Buy it. Um, there's something powerful about the words of the Psalms being sung. Um, so I want to commend that, that album to you. So I want to invite the worship team to come up as we're going to prepare to sing a psalm together. And I want to end this message with a quote from Tremper Longman from his book, that I hope we'll all listen and, and heed to. He says, go to the Psalms when you're happy and everything seems right with you. Sing laments to God when your life seems to crumble. When God hears your prayer, don't forget to thank him for his kindness. When you're frightened, be encouraged by the songs of confidence. Heed the, the Psalms of wisdom. Above all, go to the Psalms to be honest with God. This and much more is to be found in the Psalms. So church, faith church, go and center your life on the Psalms and the God of Psalms. Endless riches are waiting for you there. So go, go discover them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this songbook for your people. We thank you for these songs and these prayers by which we can grow into depths of a relationship with you that we never imagined finding more of your beauty, more of your sufficiency in every season of life. God, you are awesome. You are amazing. Give us joy in you as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.